make a couple of personal comments before I begin my message today. Uh, first of all, I want to thank so many of you for your very kind and gracious gestures uh, that you've given to me and to my family uh, upon the home going of my mom. Uh, next Saturday is going to be my mom's memorial service in Illinois, and so uh, I won't be here next Sunday. Ian's going to uh, preach for us. But uh, it's just been a real blessing for me to know how many of you have been praying for us. And uh, thank you so much for your kind gestures of sympathy. Secondly, I just want to draw your attention again to some free videos that are available in our library. Um, This one here is called uh, Why Christianity? And maybe some of you have heard of Kirk Cameron. He's the the guy who... uh, did the, the movie Fireproof and some of those others, and, and he's featured on this video. They're free for you. Um, if you want to, uh, to see them, uh, just uh, to visit the library and pick one up, and uh, I'm sure that uh, they would be a blessing to you if you're interested in something like that. And then also, just want to again remind you that uh, we are continuing to meet on Tuesday afternoons at 530 And uh, for our prayer and fasting time, if any of you would like to join us, we're glad to welcome you to that. Well, we took a week off for Easter, and uh, now we're back to our uh, series of sermons on breaking the chains of uh, sinfulness. And uh, it's not that we want to beat each other up for how sinful we are, but we want to encourage one another that there is hope as we all battle Uh, the various things that we face in this life. So as we begin, please uh, let me pray one more time. Uh, Appreciate our worship team that uh, led us to the throne so well this morning. Uh, Please uh, let me pray one more time for our sermon time. Thank you, Lord, now that we have the privilege of opening your word. I pray that it would touch our hearts, speak to our hearts, and that we would be encouraged as we look at your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would apply your word to us. You inspired the word to us. And you've given life to our hearts. So I pray that your word would reach into our hearts, take root and grow and produce fruit for your glory. Please protect us from anything that is not from you. But that which is from you, change us. Help us, Lord, to follow after you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you've seen videos on TV, America's Funniest Home Videos, or maybe in your own family, you've seen toddlers with their favorite toy. And they're really happy with their favorite toy until another toddler comes along with his or her favorite toy. And all of a sudden, the toy that the first toddler has isn't good enough anymore. They want, they want the toy with the other. Have you seen that? Has that, been, has that ever happened in your families with your children? Um, now, we adults need to be careful criticizing our toddlers because uh, the same thing happens to us. The only difference is that our toys are bigger and our toys cost more. Um, it could be our new car could be our sneakers or our jersey, our exercise outfit. It could be uh, we're happy with our new job and until we hear of someone else who has a different job with it. Whoa, man, I want that job. Um, 
we're all wondering about what it's like to see what somebody else has. Boy, I wish my marriage was like that marriage. We're just described envy. Envy. Let me give a cursory definition of envy. This is just a summary of some of the things that I've written. Envy is wanting God's goodness to others while ignoring his goodness to us. Wanting God's goodness to others. See, God's plan for every person in this room is different. And he's given us an expression of his grace and goodness to each one of us individually, but it's going to be different from the grace and goodness that he's given to somebody else. And envy is wanting what someone else is experiencing from God. But remember that his goodness to us is beyond what we would ever deserve. We all know what we would deserve. We just reflected on that this morning with the woman who was brought to Jesus. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That's why, that's why Christ came to die on the cross. Envy wants what others have and overlooks what we have. And we need to be delivered from the seeds of envy because envy is a sad sin. It's an unhappiness. It's, it's, a, it's a sadness. It's a painful awareness of an ad- supposed advantage enjoyed by someone else that we might not have. And envy is always also a lonely sin because it forms a barrier to interaction with others. It keeps them at a distance and prevents us from fellowshipping together because there's a barrier to transparency. There's, there's an unseen competition in relationships because envy creeps in. Now, I'd like to suggest that there are two sides of envy. The first side of envy says, why can't I have what they have? Look at what he has. Look at what she's doing. I should be able to have that. I should be able to enjoy that too. The reality is, though, all we see is the surface of what they have and what they're doing. It looks like they have it all. Probably they don't. Envy is shallow. It sees nothing but a perception of advantage. It's totally blind to what God in his gracious provision has given to us. No matter what we have, envy convinces us that we have to have what they have. And the more we focus on what they have, the more noticeable are the perceived imperfections with what we have. We find flaws in ourselves, our bodies, our temperament. Husbands and wives find fault with one another. We find fault with our children. Children find fault with their parents. Employees find fault with their employers when they learn how others have. So, the first mention of envy is we think, well, what God has given me is flawed and what God has given them is better. And so, I want that. 
Why can't I have what they have? But there's a darker side of envy, and that's the second flaw, the side of envy. And that says, if I can't have what they have, they shouldn't have it either. Ooh. If I can't have what they have, they shouldn't have it either. Oscar Wilde said, Envy is the consuming desire to make everyone around us as miserable as we are. (laughs) There's a story of two pastors. And, of course, we pastors sometimes fall into the trap of comparing our churches to each other's churches. Now, I, of course, never, ever done anything like that. But there's a story of one pastor who an angel came to him and said, you know, I'm going to give you a great gift. You can ask for anything that you want and I'll give it to you. But there's a catch. Whatever I give to you, I'm going to give this other pastor double. So this pastor kind of thought and kind of thought and he came back to the universe and says, I decided what I want. I want half of my church to leave. (laughs) Isn't that something that sometimes you say, if I can't have it, I don't want you to have it either? I think that's one of the problems in our culture today. We're totally consumed with envy. And we want to bring everyone down to our level of misery. It's been pointed out that envy hunts in a pack, like a pack of wolves. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, tells us this. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. That's one category. But then there's a second category. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dimensions, divisions, envy. Paul says, I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at the wolf pack of envy. Envy travels together with these other things. Right at home with enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions. Envy tears people apart like a pack of wolves tears people apart. Ruins marriages. Ruins families. Ruins churches. Because it disrupts unity and derails all the one another commands of the New Testament. So all of our wounded self-esteem, envy brings others down to our level of misery. If we can't have it, no one else should either. Pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Pretty serious stuff. And so God has given us a wonderful portion of scripture that addresses this issue and shows us how to break the chains 
and it's Psalm 73. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Psalm 73. So open your Bibles to the middle, and you come real close to Psalms. And then find number 73. This is a psalm that David wrote as he was looking around him. And he saw what others have. He said, I want it. Probably in his mind he thought, well, if I can't have it, they shouldn't have it either. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. See, he saw what they had, and he envied them. And here's what he thought. They have no struggles. Right. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Well, they are on Sunday morning, but, you know, Monday morning, you don't know what they're like, what their aches and pains are, what they're dealing with. But it looks like it. They're free from common human burdens. It looks like. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. And from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. I want you to blast them, God. They scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink upon waters in abundance. They say, how would God know if I, the gods of most high, know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. What I've been doing, God, surely it's not, what, what's the point? What I have is, is flawed. What I have is, is not good. They're the ones that got it all. You see how he falls into this envy thing? All day long, I've been afflicted. And every morning, brings new punishments. He falls into the trap, the slippery slope of envy because he's got his eyes on what other people have and what he wants. But then notice the turning point in Psalm 73. It's found in verses 16 and 17. The turning point. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now, what does it mean, I went into the sanctuary of God? Well, Hebrew scholars and commentators say that this could either mean he went to church, well, actually, he went to temple, (laughs) or he entered into the presence of God in prayer and entered into the heavenly church, the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly temple. And he got before God and he realized who God was and how, we've been singing it today, how good God is and how good and gracious he's been to him. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about confession of sin. He's talking about singing songs of praise and thanksgiving, reflecting on the freedom that comes from the forgiveness of sin. He says, I almost fell into the trap of envy. I almost got consumed by that slippery slope, but thankfully I went to God. 
and I got free and I got rescued from envy. So I'd suggest to you that the cure for envy is found for us in verses 23 to 28. And it's this. Desiring God defeats the sin of envy. Where is that found in the text? Well, let's look. Verse 23. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire but you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? Nothing on earth I desire besides you. Desiring God breaks the chains of envy. Now let's talk a little bit about this idea of desiring God. Modern practice of discipleship is focused on learning. It's focused on the mind, and rightly so. The mind is real important. You know, be not conformed to this world, but be transferred by the renewing of what? Your mind. Right. Take your thoughts captive. Right. The mind is really, really important. But when Jesus appeared to Peter after the resurrection, after Peter denied him, what did he ask him? Peter, do you know all kinds of do you know all the right theology? Peter, do you know all the right intellectual arguments for the resurrection? Peter do you know what needs to be done for planting churches? Do you know how to do it? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Um, 17th century philosopher Rene Descartes said, you are what you think. Remember that? Maybe some of you philosophers know that. You know, um, That's not true. You are what you love. You are what grips your heart. As a man thinks, where? In his heart. So shall he be. You see, the heart, as is outlined in the Bible, is much more complex than just one or two little things. The heart encompasses the seed of who we are, the composite, the holistic part. And Jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart we speak. The heart is the seat of who we are. And the heart is the seat of our desires. And it's, it's who we desire that defines how we live. One author has said that if you want to motivate someone to build a ship, you know what you do? You teach them to love the sea. 
And if they love the sea, they'll do whatever it takes to build a ship so they can get on the sea. See, that's Christian discipleship. Christian discipleship is you teach people to desire God. And when people desire God, they'll let go of all the things of this world. They'll no longer be looking at what other people have. All they'll want is God. And David in this psalm says, desiring God is the solution to his quandary that was outlined in verses 1 to 14. When we hunger and thirst for God, we're hungering and thirsting not for what others have. We're thirsting for what God has already given us, himself. You see, I would suggest to you that desiring God is wanting what we have. (laughs) Wanting what we already have. What do you have as a believer? And the more we want what we have, what others have, will no longer be the issue. Desire God. If we desire riches, what's the end? We'll never be enough. If we desire power, we're going to roll around in our beds wondering, well, I don't have as much power as this person has. I need to figure out how to get more power. It won't work. If we desire intellect, we'll think, man, I'm not smart enough. I better, I better learn some more. By the way, I love to learn. I think learning is great. But if that's what we love, it'll let us down. I love beautiful bodies. That's a dead end. (laughs) What do you love? You will find fulfillment if you love God. God is the only one who gives us fulfillment. And loving Him is the key to breaking the chains of wanting what someone else has. Because loving God, desiring Him, guess what? The more you desire Him, the more you'll desire Him. (laughs) And the less you'll look around. This is all over the Scriptures, especially the Psalms. Psalm 42, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And then the prophet Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls. That means if everything's gone, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
So let's talk about joy. Let's talk about rejoicing. Because I think rejoicing is the key to desiring God. Because when we desire God, a new lifestyle will emerge that breaks the chains of envy. And this is it. Four things. One, we will rejoice in God's presence. We will rejoice in God's presence. Back to Psalm 73, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. See, that's what Habakkuk was talking about. Though everything is taken away from me, I rejoice. And David says, I rejoice in your presence. I want what I have. Envy is wanting what we do not have. Rejoicing in God's presence is wanting what he has given to us. And the text says what? Continually he is with us. He never leaves us. Every time we are drawn toward envy, desire God. We will find ourselves rejoicing in the truth that his presence is all around us. Psalm 16 You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How can we want what someone else has when we have God's presence and we rejoice in God's presence? I'd rather be in Three Lakes on February with 20 below zero with my wife than in Hawaii alone. And you know, the more I'm with my wife, the more I desire to be with her. Why would I want another wife? That's the first. Rejoice in God's presence. Second, we will rejoice in God's promise of heaven. Last week, we reviewed the account of the death of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, you and I both know that the process of dying is horrible. It's terrible. Nevertheless, for the believer, there's nothing to fear because Psalm 73 verse 24 says this. You will then receive me into glory. After death of Jesus, there's resurrection. And as we are united with him by faith, we enjoy resurrection as well. In heaven, we will know perfect joy and experience God's glory. And when we desire God, we will rejoice in his promise of heaven. And that outweighs any of the empty promises in this life. One writer has said this, Heaven is beyond our understanding but not beyond our comprehension. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, heaven will be amazing and astounding and overwhelming. But when we get there, it will not be strange. Because going to heaven will not be like going to a foreign country where we don't know the language, where we don't know the customs, where we don't know the people. We'll know the language. We'll know the people. We'll know the customs. It'll be like coming home after a long journey in a foreign land. But yet it's still somewhat beyond our understanding. C.S. Lewis, as he wrote the 
Chronicles of Narnia, all those books. Now, I haven't read the last one, but I, I read a, a story about the last book in the series. And you know the three children in the last book of the series, maybe some of you have read it, they were all killed in a train wreck. In the last chapter of the last book in the series, here is what Lewis writes. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover of the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's heaven. And we can understand that. We can experience, or we can comprehend that. Um, even though we don't understand it, but we experience it. We know the presence. Of, do you desire that? Do you desire that? Are you homesick for heaven? Oh, we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Well, you know, C.S. Lewis says that if you aim for earth, you'll get it but if you aim you won't ever get it but if you aim for heaven you'll get both aim for heaven desire God that's the second key to overcoming envy third we will rejoice in God's strength verse 26 my flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever do we sing here I don't know I haven't been here long enough do we sing this song, You Are the Everlasting God? You know, the Isaiah 40 song. Remember what the first stanza is? Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And the last one is, You rise me up on wings like eagles. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, his thorn in the flesh. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to send, then to talk about how he glories in his weaknesses because when he is weak, then he is strong. And I pray that we would all realize that as long as we desire anything but God, We'll never be satisfied with his presence. We'll never be satisfied with the promise of heaven. God will never be good with us. And I would suggest we will never receive his power. God's not good enough. We'll never receive his power. We seem to think that we can go along as Christians and ignore God, put him on the shelf, see him maybe a half an hour once a week at church. And then when we get in trouble, we ask for his strength and we think he's going to give it to us. Brothers and sisters, we don't play games with God. Desire him, not the things of this earth. And when we do, then we can say with David, I will receive his strength 
for whatever faces me in any difficulty, we find ourselves rejoicing in his strength, in the power of his strength, when we desire him, when he's first, when he's the passion of our hearts. Finally, we'll rejoice in God's goodness and ultimate justice when we desire God. Verses 27 and 28 tell us that goodness and ultimate justice is the experience of those who desire God. Now, how many times in our lives do we say that's not fair? I mean, have your parents heard that from your kids? <laughs> that's not fair. Teachers, have you heard that from your students? That's not fair. But the more we desire God, the more these cries will fade away. What is God is not fair say? This thought really suggests several things. It suggests that God does not have my best interest at heart. It suggests that God loves somebody else more than me. And that God plays favorites. Look at Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly, God is good to those who are pure in heart. That doesn't mean that God is duty-bound to give us what we want. Nor does it imply that others are taking up all of God's goodness and there's nothing left for me. The truth is, as we've sung this morning, God is good. Thank you. God is good all the time. Second, what about justice? What about that so-and-so? He's getting away with it. Well, that happens. Yeah, they do get away with it. For now. Verses 27 and 28. For behold, those who are far away from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your work. Now certainly we don't want anyone to perish. We talk about God's justice with tears in our eyes. But if there was not justice in the world, in the universe, God would not be good. There is justice in this world. And when we desire God, his justice will give us peace. We will want him more than anything else in this world. And the more we would desire God, we rejoice in his goodness and justice. And that defeats any envy of those who do not desire God. So let me land this plane. A quote from one of my son's professors in seminary. He says this. I do not need to grasp for the talents and gifts of others. I do not need to covet my neighbor's spouse, house, family, ministry, or opportunities. I am not defined by the abilities of others. I am defined by the grace of God. Therefore, I will refuse to measure myself by a false standard. I will resist the compulsive and relentless urge to compete with anyone under the sun, especially those who are called 
to the same things that I am. (laughs) I will put to death malicious dreams about the downfall and failure of others by savoring the sure knowledge that God is lavish in his grace and that he has promised to graciously, freely, and abundantly give to me and them all things in his beloved Son. So I would summarize that the key to breaking the chains of envy is to want what we already have and to desire him more and more every day. To desire and long for more intimate relationship with the God of the universe who has given us all things in his son, Jesus Christ. And when we desire God, we will find ourselves rejoicing in his presence. We won't want the stuff of this world. Rejoicing in the promise of heaven where our treasure is. Rejoicing in the strength that we have by his grace, which will overcome. And rejoicing in the goodness and justice of God, for the power and status of evildoers will pale in comparison. And when we do this, my brothers and sisters, when we desire God, the chains of envy will be broken. Join with me in prayer. Father in heaven, we live in a nation where it's easy to envy. There really is a lot of diversity in our country. There's diversity by regions, by geographic regions. There's diversity by all kinds of different measures. We're not all the same, and it's easy to envy. Lord, there are different types of churches. There are different types of ministries. We have different gifts. We have different abilities. It's easy for us to fall into wanting what someone else has. To overlook what you've given to us. I pray, God, that we would desire you above all things. Realize that there is nothing on earth that I desire but you. May we rejoice in you and what you've given to us. And we will find ourselves free from the curse of envy. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, there's something that God said today that just touched my heart. Maybe you're here today and you're not really trapped in envy, but there might be some things that you thought of, well, maybe I do envy this a little bit. I would ask you today, right now, turn from it. Present yourself to God. And ask Him to help you desire Him more and more each day. Just in the quietness of the day, just pray. Lord, I I turn from it. I present myself to you. I ask you to help me to desire you more and more every day. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts. 
May we rejoice in what you have given to us, in who you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray.